G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. You can't have any joy when you think that you're accepted before God on the basis of how good you were last week. Hello and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today we start a new series called All In. In this first message, Lost Sheep, Pastor Jeff will share with us from Luke chapter 15 about how we should have passion for those who are far away from God. In the church, we expect people to behave and be like Jesus. And then they're allowed to come into church. We got it backwards. This is Today with Jeff Vines. Good that you're here. Turn in your Bibles, if you would. Luke chapter 15, Luke 15. And we'll get there just in a moment. Uh... As you can tell, I'm seated, and uh, it's kind of like uh, uh, coffee culture today. Uh, if you got your coffee, that's great. You got your water. Let's talk for a moment as I kick off a new series. And uh, I've had some time this past week to reflect, and I thought, what a great way to kick off this series by letting you inside my head a little bit, because I want to talk about something that's very dear to my heart, something very crucial. You know, God has done some amazing things around here in the last seven years. It's amazing. Uh, CCV has been privileged to have two great senior pastors that were before me and Ron Keller. As a matter of fact, Ron Keller and his ministry is a big part of the reason you're in this place now. And then Chuck Boer had a fantastic youth ministry that a lot of you now have grown up to be adults that came to Christ in his ministry. And so, and then I came in 2000, my first year was 2008. In the last seven years, Do you realize we've doubled our impact? We are almost to the number double what we were seven years ago. We have doubled our size. You have doubled in your generosity. You're giving twice as much now than you did then. And you ought to because you're double the size. We've doubled in land. We didn't know what we were going to do with uh, the way God was growing our church. So we bought this property out at Etiwanda Gardens. Fantastic place that God blessed us with. And we've got a, a satellite campus. We are one church, many locations. And so Etiwanda continues to grow and expand right next to Victoria Gardens. We've got Lone Hill. Lone Hill is the place you go if you think the music's too loud here. It's just down the road at a middle school. And we have services there and led by uh, Ryan Beerman. It's a great, great ministry, great, great place. But the most important thing to me is not that. The most important numbers are numbers like this. 3,456 baptisms in the last seven years. 3,000. And that's a, that's a great number. It is a great number. Uh, but it's not as good as this number. 1,185 first-time decisions for Jesus Christ. 1,185. Guys, when I was in church, the church I grew up in, if we had five decisions in a year, it was a red-letter day. And here we are getting to be part of what God's doing. This is not because of any organization. This is not because of any man, any leadership. This is God. This is what God does. This is how he moves. That's good, and it brings celebration. I'm glad we're celebrating, but it also brings some consternation, and I want you to hear me out in this. I want you to learn a little bit about me, my story, uh, because it's going to help you understand about 
why we do what we do in this church, and it's going to set the stage well for this series all in. And before we get to Luke 15, guys, listen, I grew up in a church, man, we were so self-righteous. We had zero passion for anybody that was far from God. And we believed strongly in the doctrine of hell. And we were glad that hell existed so that people who disagreed with us could go there. (laughs) I mean, we had zero passion. And it was a place of no joy because it was salvation by works. And so you can't have any joy when you think that you're accepted before God on the basis of how good you were last week. Because very few of us are good. And the ones who think we're good actually weren't. We're just kidding ourselves. And so I grew up in this church that was just focused internally on ourselves. And uh, no joy. Love the doctrine of hell. We believed that God was forever constantly erasing our name from the book of life because of how we lived that week. But in the midst of all that, even as a 16-year-old, God started doing some things in my life. Because I knew that the, that the Jesus my Sunday school teacher was teaching me about was not the Jesus I saw in the church I attended. And so from a very young age, I thought, what's up with the dichotomy here? There's no harmonization here between what you teach me in Sunday school on the flannel graph board and what I see and how we work and how we operate as a church. And so I was frustrated because I believed that Jesus was relevant But the church wasn't relevant. At least my church wasn't. And so at 16 years old, we go to basketball camp with uh, my high school basketball team in a place called Maryville, Tennessee. We're playing basketball games all day. And at the end of the day, we're usually getting together and trying to recover. And I'm walking by the dorm room of about 10 of the other players on my team who were gathered together. And as I walked by, I heard the comment, put it away, here comes Jeff. I thought, what's going on here? Now, this was one of those moments. It was like a a defining moment. It was like God said to me, no, this time you're going to speak up. You don't know such thing as a closet Christian or half-hearted Christian. It's time for you to speak up. So I went, backed up, went in the room and said, guys, what's up? Because I was the captain of the basketball team. Guys, what's up? What's happening here? What what are you you putting away because Jeff won't like it? And they said, dude, no no offense, but man, we, we we got the centerfold of Playboy magazine. We know you're not into that kind of thing. I said, hold on a minute. What do you think I am into? Well, there's no fun in your life. I said, you're wrong. I got lots of fun. Matter of fact, I'm as happy as you'll ever find. But I just think there are parameters that God gives us to live within. And he does it not because he hates us, because he's motivated out of love. You live within these parameters and you're going to get the abundant life. And so doing that, what you're doing is not within those parameters. And by the way, I'm telling you guys right now, and I even knew this at a very young age because my dad had taught me well. I said, you keep looking at stuff like that. No wife that you marry is ever going to have a chance. And so... For the first time in my life, I got to speak up. Now, I did not expect what happened next. One of the guys said, well, why don't you read the Bible to us and teach us what the Bible says? (laughs) Now, I wasn't ready for that. And I said, what? And I said, seriously, one of them especially, a guy by the name of Keith Turner said, why don't you come back and let's meet tonight after the last game and let's read the Bible together. I said, okay. So after the last game at nine o'clock, we all took showers by about 10 o'clock. We were in the dorm room. And I was reading from my favorite passage when I was young, Ephesians chapter 5, where uh, he talks about be imitators of God. And I took them through it. What I did not expect is for Keith Turner to give his life to Christ that night. And so he became a Christian. And he went on, to show you how God works, he went on to uh, play Division One basketball at Tennessee Tech University. And today he is the uh, principal of the school that we grew up in. And think about how many lives he's changing now. Two other guys became Christ followers that night. I did not expect that. Now, here's the problem I was faced with. They just gave their lives to Jesus, but I don't want to take them to my church. (laughs) 
I, I don't want to take them to my church. But against my better judgment, I thought, man, this is the only place I know, so I'm going to take them to church. So I asked them all to meet me. The whole team came, including my coach, even those who had not received Christ. It was a nightmare. <laughs> uh, they didn't even make it out of the foyer into the sanctuary before somebody said to them, hey, man, if you're going to come to our church, you need a suit and tie because they were in jeans and a T-shirt. One guy had tattoos. Yeah, we had tattoos in the 70s and 80s. And one lady just gave him ups one side down the other. You're not coming in the house of the Lord. And before we even got in, they had been judged for their haircuts. They had headphones. And we had what we call cassette tape players that you rewind and fast forward. And so we got in and the sermon was the same topic it was every other week of the year. It was on sin and how evil everybody outside was and going to hell. So I brought them. They were so nervous. I remember as the communion tray passed by these big basketball players, their hands were shaking because they didn't know what to do. Things weren't explained. Because our church never expected anybody to be there that was far from God. Only people who were close to God and were pious, righteous people could come to our church. Plus the fact we were still singing 18th century songs. And I'm sorry, we were. And even though I liked them, still liked them today, our basketball buddies thought, what on earth is this? Now, you have to have an experience to appreciate this. And I just had one recently. Before I had my accident, Robin and I went up to San Luis Obispo. I wanted to go to the mission there. And when I go to these Southern California missions, I like to spend half a day. There's all kinds of stuff you can do and read. Well, I also like to pray. I just find it easy to pray in those places. And so I go up on the front row of the mission and I kneel down on the prayer pads there and I began to pray. I, I didn't recognize the time. It was 11.55. So five minutes into my prayer, a bell rung and I found myself caught in midday mass. While I was praying, a bunch of people came in behind me and I was leading the mass, kind of. I was just praying. I I looked up and here comes the priest out. Now I studied Catholicism and so I know a lot about Catholicism, but I'm out of practice. I'm rusty. And so I didn't know when to stand up and sit down. I didn't know when to repeat after the priest and when not to repeat. I had my hat on and then it suddenly dawned on me, man, you better take your hat off. So I took my hat off and then the priest comes out and does communion and I'm not Catholic, so I'm not supposed to go up. Actually, I can go up, but then he says, speaks a different blessing, but I'm nervous. I'm shaking. I am a pastor. I'm 50 years old and I'm nervous shaking like a leaf in church. And I, and I wasn't going to get up and walk out because I was on the front row. Now, some of you do that, but I wouldn't do that. So I sat through about a half an hour mass, okay? Nervous. And it was over. I think, whoo. And then the priest came down, shook my hand, and welcomed me. And I said, you know, thank you, Father. You know, what do you do? What do you do? I, 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 do you know, do you kiss his hand? I don't know. It's been, I'm out of practice. The point is, I was a wreck, Okay? Now, I want to read to you something out of Luke chapter 15 that Jesus himself says, the context is that the tax collectors, verse 1 of chapter 15, and the sinners were all gathering around Jesus. He was hanging out with the sinner dudes, okay? The Pharisees, the Bible says, and the teachers of the law started talking to each other, muttering, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them, those people. And Jesus knew their heart. So he tells this story. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country? The open country. Some of your translations will say the wilderness where the predators are exposed. And the Bible says Jesus left them. He would leave them exposed to predators and go after the one lost sheep until he finds it. In other words, he's got a plan. He's strategic. He's not giving up until he brings it home. 
And the Bible says when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Rejoice, Bible. the Bible says. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together. And he says, rejoice with me. I found the lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. This is Today with Jeff Vines. And Pastor Jeff is sharing from Luke chapter 15. It's the start of a new message series called All In. Let's continue now. Now, in case they missed it and they were thick, Jesus told three stories back to back to back. And he says the next story, what about a woman who has 10 silver coins and loses one, doesn't she? Light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels over God or of God over one sinner who repents. Now, here's what you find. Number one, there's great intentionality on Jesus' part. He doesn't wait for the lost sheep to come home. He goes and he gets it, okay? He's not waiting for them to come to him. He's going out and he's leaving. He's risking, taking great risks to find the one who's away from God. Second, did you notice that uh, there is this idea of celebration when the one is found? Everybody stops and celebrates. There's a big party. And third, the Bible says that not only is there a party here, there's a party in heaven. Now, I find this interesting. When you and I resist temptation, God smiles, but there's no party in heaven. When you and I pursue holiness and Christ-likeness, God smiles. Jesus smiles. The Holy Spirit, he's elated. But no party in heaven. The parties only happen in heaven when someone who is far from God comes near to God. Then there is a party in heaven. And there's supposed to be one here. Now, here's the point. I grew up, you you need to understand this because you're going to understand me a little better. Because I'm sure sometimes you think, why does Jeff do that? Well, this is going to help you. The church I grew up in had no passion for people far from God. Their number one descriptive word would be this. They were all little consumers. And here's why. Because their thought was, hey, life is so busy, I spend no time with God during the week. So when I come here, I want it to be what I want. And so they wanted the songs to be exactly the way they wanted them. They wanted the preacher to wear a certain color of tie. I remember my mother complaining, the preacher's tie, I didn't like it this morning. And I don't like the preacher's haircut. And who's trimming the bushes out in front of the church building? They don't trim them tight enough. We argued stupid stuff that doesn't matter because we were distracted from the real goal. And that's what happens. When you turn inwardly, you start arguing about stupid stuff. But as long as you have a passion for the people out there, matter of fact, Philemon 6 tells you that when you share your faith, you're actually going to discover every good and perfect gift that comes from God in Christ Jesus. Now, do you realize that the reason a lot of my generation left the church was because of this stuff? We heard one thing in Sunday school and then saw another demonstrated. Nobody had a passion for anybody far from God. Now, listen. I can't do this. I can't play this game. God has wired me differently. I told the elders when they hired me, you got to know I'm a missionary at heart. I spent most of my life away from the U.S., out in Zimbabwe and Rwanda or Kenya or Zambia and now Australia, New Zealand, and now I've come here. I've come home. God has called me here, so I'm here. But that journey started when I was younger. I was so frustrated that I, Jesus was incredibly relevant, but the church seemed to be irrelevant. It never talked about the things people really wanted to talk about, the struggles they were having. It just kept preaching to the choir week after week after week. Then I go to Africa. That's another story, another time, another sermon. I come back and I go to seminary and I discover two things. For the first time in my life, I hear about the doctrine of grace. 
30 years old, and the first time I hear that you are saved by grace through faith. And I'm in Romans class with my theology theology professor, and it dawns on me what he's saying for the first time, and I'm reading it in the book of Romans. And for the first time, this joy just overwhelms me. Wait, you mean God accepts me on the basis of what Jesus did on the cross, not on how good I was last week? And I actually started to weep. My professor asked me after class, what was wrong? And I told them, I have never been taught this. I have been a missionary in Africa and I didn't know this. Because I had grown up in a church that told me, self-righteous, pious people, we're better than them. We're glad there's a hell, but you better be here at church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and you better go call it on Friday. And if you do something wrong, Jesus is just up there with an eraser. And your name out of the book of life is being scratched out. Now, I learned that. Then I learned the other thing. When you do give your life to Christ, that the Spirit of God comes in. And when the Spirit of God comes in, He starts to transform you. And it's kind of like that movie, Back to the Future, when he had the vision of the flux capacitor. When he hit his head on the toilet, remember? If you didn't see the movie, shame on you, you should see it. It's an American icon. (laughs) I had the vision, not for the flux capacitor, but it dawned on me what was wrong. We got it backwards. In the church, we expect people... To behave and be like Jesus. And then they're allowed to come into church. And then when they come into the church, we're going to teach them. And they will believe. And if they believe and behave, then we'll accept them. And it was the opposite of what Jesus did. He said, no, I'm going to accept all y'all first. He was from Tennessee, Southern. All y'all, I'm going to accept all you all first. Because all of you are sinners. All of you. And because we accept you, then you're going to come in, you're going to feel welcome, and then we're going to preach the good news of the gospel. And the word of God's going to get into you. And by faith, you will receive Christ. And then it's the Holy Spirit's job to come inside you and begin to conform you to the image of his son. It's not my job to make you live right. It's my job to deliver the good news of the gospel so the spirit of God will come in you and he will start his work in you. And he who starts a work in you is faithful to complete it on the day of redemption. And so God starts doing this in my mind in seminary. And then he sends me to New Zealand where I become an apologist. And I meet my friend Ravi Zacharias. And then I start to know that the world really is open to hear about the good news of the gospel. It's just in all the way we start our conversations. And if we go to them in arrogance and self-righteousness, we've already lost. But if we go at them with a story that we have to tell, the transformational work Jesus has done, and we admit that we too are sinners, that we're all struggling with something, it's amazing how open they are to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus. So I learned to do that. Now, some people ask me, why did you leave New Zealand? This is the first time publicly that I have given that answer. The reason I left New Zealand is because although we started well, And we were able and willing to take risk. And people came to me and said, Pastor Jeff, you don't want to go to New Zealand. I was 31 years old after seminary. You don't want to go to New Zealand. I know you say you feel called there, but it's uh, 97.3% unchurched. They are not, you know, they are post-Christian. You will go there. You will be passionate and you will work hard and you'll be lucky to have 10 converts in 10 years. Why don't you just stay here and use the the gifts God's given you? But I knew I had to go and I knew God was calling me. So in our seventh year, when we were bucking a thousand, and everybody was taking a look at what was going on, I knew why. And it was because we were taking risks and we were having conversations 
And God gave me this vision of the one life that I've given you now. And there's never going to be a better way to improve on bringing people far from God near to God than one-on-one. Church programs, okay, they're okay in and of themselves, but there's never improvement on one-on-one. And I invested in my first one life in Bill McCarthy, this television icon of New Zealand. And I started having lunch with him every Wednesday for seven years. And on the seventh year, he finally crossed over and gave his life to Jesus. Seven years. There's a lot of baggage to break down. That's not always going to take you seven years. But when, once you lead somebody to Jesus in a relationship like that, you can't get enough of it. And you just want to do it again and again and again. And you learn that people aren't so anti-Jesus as you think, as the media leads you to believe. They're just anti-self-righteous, pious people. But if you start conversations and you admit you are a sinner saved by the grace of God, because the transformational work the Spirit does in the lives of people is empirically verifiable. It is the strength of the Christian message. And so God started doing all these things. And I left New Zealand because... We got to a point, I remember like it was yesterday, we started getting into holy huddles and we protected our holy huddle. We didn't want new people in. And then one day, one of our elders came to me and said, Jeff, why do you want to grow anymore? We're already one of the biggest churches in the country. And I said, wait a minute. As long as there are people far from God, we keep going after them. It's not about how many people are in your church, it's about how many people aren't. It's not about how many people got saved. It's matter how many people haven't been saved that still need the good news of the gospel. And I could feel it that the risk, and, and I have to hold my hand up because I'm to blame. I'm the leader. I did not lead them well. I did not lead them to the point of saying, look, guys, we're still taking risks. We're still out there. We're still bringing the good news of the gospel. And I started to die inside because I realized that we were just maintenance people. Let's just maintain what we have. Folks, God has called me to preach the gospel. And there are opportunities he opens up for our church, some of which I never get to share with you. But I will not stop, and we should not stop, ever from proclaiming the good news and leaving the 90 and 9 and taking risk and being willing to go where Jesus leads. And do you know where Jesus leads? Into the wilderness. And he leads to the cross where you die to yourself to live for something else. This is Today with Jeff Vines. We'll have to leave it there for today, but please join us next time to hear the end of Lost Sheep. Jesus was willing to momentarily leave those he relentlessly loves to relentlessly pursue those who risk forever being separated from him. You can head to our website, vision.org.au, to access more information or other resources from Pastor Jeff right now. Just search for Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.